This is Glenn McQuaid. And this is Larry Fessenden. And you're listening to Tales from Beyond the Pale, the podcast. Greetings, audiophiles. I'm glad you decided to join me on this little journey. I hope you'll take a deep breath now, a deep breath, and just relax and listen with me. Because wherever you think you are, maybe settled in your favorite chair, maybe you're at the museum taking in some art, or relaxing on a cruise, or sorting through a jigsaw puzzle, perhaps you're stuck in an elevator, or on your way to a secret rendezvous late at night. Wherever you thought you were, well, look again, listener, for you have crossed over. You are no longer where you thought you were. You are now beyond the pale. Greetings, audiophiles. Today's tale comes from horror author Sarah Langan, whose novels The Missing, The Keeper, and Audrey's Door are currently tingling spines across the globe. Sarah's story, Is This Seat Taken?, arrived in, of all things, a box of chocolates. Let's take a look. It's an odd choice of parcel, to be sure, but on closer inspection, perhaps quite fitting. Because, twisted though it might be, is this seat taken, is a heartwarming when boy-meets-girl tale that will leave you yearning for more. Sit tight, folks, as we take a ride on the Long Island Railroad and dive into the hearts and minds of two of love's beautiful young things. October 20th, 5.36 p.m., Penn Station, New York. This is my second attempt at making contact with Case Study C. He's Robert Benchley of 18 Clinton Road, Garden City. 29 years old, loner, nice guy, good-looking, bad hygiene. Unlike the rest of those monkeys, I liked him. Tickets, please. Please have your tickets. Is the seat taken? Yeah. Last call for the express train Excuse me, is the seat taken? Sorry, Please, I don't have all morning to stand here and wait. Take it, punk! Thank you. Here's your ticket back. Please, lady, is the seat taken? No. It's waiting just for you. What? Sit down. Take a load off. Oh, wow. Great. Whew. Do I know you? Uh, sorry, that sounds stupid. You, mu- you must hear that line all the time. I see a pretty girl, I start babbling like an idiot. No, you are fine. You look familiar to me, too. What's your name? Robert Benchley. How do you do? Looking for a job, so I ride this train almost every day. We've probably seen each other here before. That's not it. Are you famous or something? Wait, did did you go to Garden City High School? Yeah. I was president of the AV Club, class of 1998. I used to love the AV Club kids. They were so cute in those reflective double-slung backpacks. Robbie Benchley. That's right. You took Selkie Dolan to the prom? Everybody thought you were going to get married. Did you? <laughs> uh, Selkie? Uh, no. It's so weird that you ask that. 
I met her parents for the photos, but she ditched me at the dance. Are you sure you went to Garden City? Well, that is good. I mean, not that she ditched you, but that you didn't marry her. She was a real bitch. Also gay, right? Totally stringing you along. Are you still mad at her? No, I'm... I mean, life's short. That was a long time ago. You are still so nice. Seriously, though. She was terrible. Same with that... What was... What was her name? Liz Gallo. Ugh, what a mean little thing. To duct tape all your AV equipment and cover it with honey. Who does that? I, I hope she's dead. How do you remember all of this? I was a sophomore when you were a senior. You really don't know me? Honestly, I am a little hurt. Maybe. Oh my god, thank god. I was afraid. I, I thought you were thinking I was some kind of stalker. You look great. Except you could dress better <laughs> and shave. Also, a Hulk Hogan lunchbox and fuzzy bunny slippers aren't gonna impress anybody at a job interview. How you been since graduation? I lost touch with all those phonies. I swear I could have bombed that whole school and everybody in it. All except you. Do you ride this train often? Contact with case study C, successful. Life on the outside has broken him down more than expected. Hygiene, poor, dresses like a seven-year-old. This should be easy. Progress has been swift. Perhaps it's because we've got a real connection. I'm attracted to him, which is new. I'm not usually into skin because of the microscopic rape bacteria. We met yesterday on the train again. He took my advice and didn't wear the fuzzy slippers. His story's pretty much the same as case studies A and B. Robert Benchley was released to his parents' custody three months ago and now lives in their basement. I can only imagine what the place looks like. Beer bottles on the floor, jerk-off stink, Terry Rabin's infomercials. American male malaise, they're suburbia's willing victims. They can't get out from their daddy's shadows, so they never grow up and they never leave home. Forty years pass, and they give up their dreams for a bottle of Rogaine and wind up trying to impregnate the neighbor's dog or unloading a semi-automatic at Thanksgiving dinner. All I'm doing is speeding it along, containing it, so innocent bystanders don't get hurt. For the purposes of research, of course. After Benchley, I'll totally have enough material for a book. Okay, here goes. Hello? Uh, Hello? Uh, Is uh, Robert Benchley there? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot I was on the phone. Who's this? Cassie Coca. I'm calling for Robert. We went to high school together. Oh, how wonderful. You went to high school with Robbie? Well, then you must know he was president of his audiovisual club and second runner-up in the Raymond Carpenter Poetry Contest. You're a sweetheart, I can just tell. Thanks, Mrs. Benchley. People say that a lot about my phone voice. Of course, I'm actually a serial killer by proxy. Ah, ha, ha, funny too. Robbie, phone for you. It's a girl. Hi, Cassie. Meet me at the Carl Place Diner, an old country road for dinner. Eight o'clock. I can't. I've got this thing. After the thing, Robert. And bring rubbers, like for your dick. 
I recall from my notes, Subject 3's biggest fascination was zombie eyes. It's a common delusion associated with psychopathy and indicates a 78% chance of homicidal mania. Okay, he's pulling up now. Looks like he's driving his dad's 15-year-old Mercedes. He's checking himself out in the rearview mirror. His mom must have ironed his shirt and tie. They don't match, but they're clean. Here he comes. Yes. That's me. Sit down. Oh, good. I keep thinking you're a dream or something. You charmer. You two ready? What do you have? A tuna wrap still in the plastic and a Coke. Not Pepsi Coke. And if you don't have Coke, then V8. In the can. Instead of fries, I'll have a salad. No dressing. They must love you at the Four Seasons, honey. And you, kid? Oh, oh uh, I... Um, is a hamburger okay? I don't know, kid, is it? Well, maybe not for you, lady. I'll bet you can't tell your gut from your ass over at Barney's Drunk House. But he can have a burger just fine. A Coke, too. Also, he's not a kid. Well, aren't you the queen of Long Island? <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> sure. But now I'm scared she's gonna spit in my food. <laughs> I can test it for you. Awesome. She kind of had crab eyes. You notice that? Like they were all bugged out and not attached to her head. I'll bet we could roast her and pull her out of her skin like a lobster shell. Tasty treat. <laughs> How would you eat her? Butter or just plain? Wow. That is gross. <laughs> sure, so's an old shoe. Seriously, do you ever notice crab eyes? Like how in high school everybody started to look inanimate? They didn't give a shit you could be passed out on the floor and starving, living off drywall and garbage or something. And they just keep grinding away like fish or dead things. By the time I graduated, I thought I was the only person in the world who was really alive. The rest of them, they were empty inside. Yeah, I know what you mean. When I'm stressed out, I think everybody's a zombie. <laughs> you should know it's a symptom of antisocial psychosis. You might want to see a doctor. Take lithium for it. Does that mean you fantasize about killing people, Robert? <laughs> Not. Let's talk about something else. Music, for instance. I mean, it's totally weird that we're old enough to be the target audience for music, isn't it? What? Music. You hear it at Penn Station and in CVS and every department store in the country. It's supposed to make us feel safe. It's like our own childhoods revisited, only watered down. You now it doesn't dredge up the same feelings it once did, and now it's like anesthesia. Good metaphor for middle age, really. It's like your parents in the Rolling Stones or electroshock treatment. It just makes you soft and dead inside. I don't have parents. I also never had electroshock treatment. You're lucky on both counts. You don't have a very high standard for luck, do you, Robert? You know, neither do you. I'm thinking about this. My mind is kind of scrambled and my memories aren't so good, but you must know that I wasn't cool in high school. I got cum thrown at me. I dressed like Spock. There's no way a hot girl like you had a crush on me. Robert, you made I... it up, didn't you? You're familiar, but we met someplace else, not Garden City. How do you know all this stuff about me anyway? Did you read in the paper? You, you jerk. Did, did it ever occur to you that I wasn't hot back then? I mean, maybe I was fat. 
And who are you to judge my standards? I liked you, that's all. You didn't notice me? Sure. Not because I wasn't there. I was right in front of your eyes, hanging on every damn word you stuttered. You didn't notice me because I wasn't pretty like Selkie Dolan or Liz Gallo and all those other blonde Barbies. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to insult you. It's, sometimes things get mixed up in my head. I, I'm really, I'm really sorry. Sure, whatever. You're the only one entitled to a sad sack adolescence. I get it. People have been mean to me my whole life. Even my doctors acted like I was a criminal. So it's just, you're nice. I'm not used to it. Sure, you're like a tender little flower. You know what I want, Robert? I want to take you home and ride you till your heart explodes. Subject is in my apartment. I've violated all principles of ethical psychotherapy. Even told him about my parents and that I used to be fat. I can't help myself. He's gotten under my skin. Like ringworm. What are you doing? Nothing. This place is spotless. It's like one of those models they use for sales pitches. It's with the plastic everywhere. Makes it easier to clean the blood after I kill people. Seriously? No. I wish. I'm just kind of weird. I like things neat and sterile. Hmm. You need to have control over it. Know where it's been. You'd hate my bedroom. I piss in the empties so I don't wake my parents at night by flushing. It smells. Gross. Hey, you, you want to take a shower? And put my clothes in this Ziploc first, right? But when you're clean, we can uh, do it. I'll help scrub. Hell yeah. So fast, I'm a virgin. Oh, that's okay. Everybody's got to start someplace. I liked it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Not many guys are willing to take an alcohol shower before I let them kiss me. Except for uh, when I got raped, you're my first. And that time was bad. I felt like somebody split me in two and expected me to walk afterward. Happened in a hospital. You'd think they'd be tighter with security. My God, Cass. Awful. Eh, it's fine. Just so long as we keep everything clean. Anyway, I wanted to ask you. Uh, the waitress. What? Anything. Do you think we could kill her together if we found out where she lived? <sighs> no. I think we'd get caught, Cass. Oh, sorry. It's just she had those zombie eyes. Do you notice them when you're on lithium? Yeah. Everybody's got them. Except you. Whew. Second time's the charm? Or third. Censored for privacy. You nosy nails. Montauk Point, Long Island. We're meeting here because he's always loved the movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's been two weeks and I've worked him pretty good. He's ready. Before I started this, I considered Case Study C my most dangerous subject. Maybe that's true, but he's changed since we got together in ways the others never did. I haven't broken him down. 
I've made him more confident. He makes me feel good, too. Okay, he's coming. Hey, beautiful. You brought Banaka. It's 80% sanitizing alcohol. <laughs> okay, I've been thinking. Because you know how I love hypothetical killing people talk. Guns are the easiest. A semi-automatic could take out a whole train. But they're hard to come by and easy to trace. Knives are messy. Poison's interesting. We could slip some botulism into a deli buffet, take out a whole office with the stuff. It's gotta be terrifying to know you're gonna die of food poisoning and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, do you just kill yourself right then or wait till you're puking blood? Ah, uh, okay, now I decided. Botulism is awesome. Who should we kill? God, don't make me talk about that. Oh, it's just words. They don't hurt anybody. Like that pretty surfer girl in the water, you see her? Yeah, black wetsuit, long hair. She looks like a split mermaid. Would you kill her for me? It's not funny, Cassie. <laughs> it's not okay to talk about. Why not? It's fun. <sighs> Look, I, I have to tell you something, Cassie. And then maybe you'll understand. What? Remember how I used to write stories? Like I walked around with this black mead notebook like I thought it was Kafka? Sure. Well, the stories were pretty stupid, mostly. I mean, I'd write about how I was gonna blow up the Woolworths building as a call to arms for all the smart kids, or <laughs> like I'd build a time machine and kill Hitler. Like, dumb stuff, really. No, I totally know what you mean. Social misfit mad libs. I used to have this fantasy that I was queen of the maniacs, and they carried me around in their arms so my feet never had to touch the ground. I'd point at all the mean kids and shrinks and junkies and have them executed just by blinking. Yeah. Hmm, like that. Anyway, after high school, things didn't really work out the way that I hoped, and I didn't get my stories published. My parents thought I was too shy for college. And they made it hard. So I dropped out, and the only job that I could get was string telephone lines along the West Side Highway. I rode the train like 10 times a week, dressed as a construction worker, smelling terrible. It's like something snapped, and I started writing about shooting up all these people, you know, like the fancy people with lucky lives and friends and inch-deep souls. I picked the 538 to Mineola, and I even got the gun and bullets. And the morning that I planned to do it, I showered, shaved, brushed my hair, and slit my wrists. You what? <laughs> I tried to kill myself. And my parents found me. But that's not in my case notes. Uh, I mean, why didn't you tell me? I was waiting for the right time. While I was in the hospital, my parents searched my room and found my stories, and they got power of attorney and sent me to Bellevue for seven years. It was right after Columbine happened. Everybody was paranoid. My dad testified against me. You know, I never liked golf. I dyed my hair black. I read poetry. He figured all those symptoms finally fit a profile. I was a homicidal maniac. But that's why I don't remember much from high school. 
300 electroshock treatments and my memory got slid up like an accordion. And you know what's really nuts? Before the hospital, I never used to see zombie eyes. And then I'd look at these monsters in white when they would pull the switch or shoot me full of sleep juice in the middle of the day and tell me it was for my own good. I'd look them right in the eye and I'd see that there was nobody looking back at me. There were zombies. And when I met you, I'd been out for three months. Just to get out of the house, I told my parents that I had job interviews, but I never went to any job interviews. I just sat at a bar in Penn Station, waiting for rush hour to start again, so I could head back home. And I'd try and get on really packed trains, maybe hopefully sit next to a pretty girl, and even that didn't work. And I was going to kill myself. So pathetic, but I had to tell you. Robert, you're different than the others. They were hopeless. You're not, are you? Everybody was wrong. I'll understand if you're not comfortable seeing me again. I hate that they did that to you. I hate them so much. I keep trying to let it go, but I lost my whole 20s, you know? I just need somebody to be nice to me, that's it. And my parents are rich people. They're rich people. They could have paid for a private hospital instead of Bellevue. I guess it was tough love. It wasn't love. I love you, so I know. It's really sweet, Cass, but it's hard to believe. You don't have to believe it. I just do. <sighs> Who would you kill, Robert? Don't you know by now? No. Who? Are you sure? I mean, it feels like you know more about me than I do. What did you mean by my case notes? We're the same. We're soulmates. Well, that's how I know. Wait, let me show you. Jesus, Cass, put that away. <sighs> Feel it. You know you want to. It's a P-22. They used to call them Saturday Night Specials. Who would you kill, Robbie? Come on, talking makes it better. Tell me. It really is pretty. I lost mine. You took it away. Come on, tell me, baby. Just put your hands here. Good. Talking makes it better. I'd kill myself. If I couldn't do that, I'd kill my parents. See? That wasn't so hard. Wait, Robert! Wow. Oh my god. No, I thought about it a lot, but I never shot one before. I almost hit that mermaid, you see that? Yeah, I wonder what she'd look like if I'd aimed a little to the left. You okay? Uh, yeah. I just... I didn't expect you to shoot it. Hey, babe? Yeah? Can we do it in the ocean? Is that clean? Um, I guess. I'm kind of afraid, though. Seaweed, you know? I'll make you a deal. If we do it in the ocean, I'll kill somebody. For real. We'll do it using your gun. I didn't tell him this, but it was the first time I'd ever been in the water. That day was one of the scariest and happiest days of my life. We're supposed to do it tonight. 
The Benchleys invited me over for dinner, but I'm having second thoughts. I love getting guys to kill for me. It's a fun game figuring out what'll make them break. Case study A was all about torturing small animals. Case study B had a thing for little boys. It's no loss, they're back in lockup, and I get a book out of it. Robert's different. I wasn't lying to him. I love him. Then again, I kind of agree with him. His parents have to go. Hi, Cassie Coca. It's nice to meet you. Goodness, so thin and pretty and over 18, too. Mom, let her in. Robbie, you're wearing a suit. I haven't seen that since the hearing. Oh, but that's water under the bridge. You two look so fetching. I know this is silly, but I didn't think she was real, you know, because of your imagination, Robbie. Come on, moms. I mean, treat the boy with some respect. We did get him that blow-up girl doll for the basement. He doesn't need to invent anymore. Can I come in now, you jerks? Well, see, that's the thing, honey. Robbie's mom and I have been talking, and, well, we, we, we decided that he's not ready. Maybe you don't know this, but he's been in a mental institution for seven years because, well, because he tried to shoot up a train full of people is what it is. We, we, we just don't think you'd be safe. Oh my god, Dad, shut up. It's the best thing for everyone. I mean, what does a pretty girl like you want to do with my son? I mean, we, we love him after all, but that's because he's ours. The best a father could ask for, I guess, unless he played golf or was good at math or something. But well, well, what's your angle? I mean, you should know his money's in a trust. You won't be able to get at it unless we're dead, and that's not going to happen. So you you kind of picked the wrong mark here, honey. Give it to me, Cassie. I don't care if I get into trouble. I'm going to do it. I can't. I lied to you, Robbie. We didn't meet in high school. I don't want you to do something you'll regret. I know who you are. My memory's gone, but I'm not an idiot. Give me the gun. What the hell is that, Robbie? Get inside, both of you. Oh, Robbie, I knew she was bad. Put that down, son. Come on, give it to me, Cassie. It's my job. I can't, Robert. I love you too much. No, put that... Oh, my God. I never did that before. Holy shit. They're bleeding. Bad parents, <laughs> so messy. But you're free now, Robert. And I am too. I can kill for myself now. This book is gonna be totally awesome. They're bleeding. You better call the cops and act hysterical so they don't blame you. I'm a girl, so I should only get a couple of years. It'll be fine. You'll visit, right? Bleeding. Zombies don't bleed. Uh-oh. You know, I Googled you about a week ago. You were in my group therapy at Bellevue. Oh. You were one of those neglect cases with junkies for parents who licks the plastic wrapping in dumpsters. Don't say that. And then you went nuts. So they locked you up. You were always the craziest of all of us. But I liked you. I remember how we used to lie facing each other on the cots. You'd smile at me after my electroshocks. It took me a while to place you because you were heavier back then. Kind of mean, too. You thought you were a shrink. Or 
therapist raped you, right? The one who got fired, then they let you out, gave you enough for an apartment because of the scandal. It's weird nobody put together. You were with Nash Severn when he suffocated his grandfather, and you were with Adam Hernandez when he broke parole at that kid's playground. Oh shit, Robert. Why didn't you tell me you knew? We could have planned this together. I'm gonna call the cops. The longer we wait, the worse it looks. Trust me. No, you're not. <laughs> Don't. I love Look, you. Look, they're squirming. It's inhumane. How could you do that, Cass? It was my job. Everybody's always making my decisions, treating me like a kid, even you. It's not right. Robbie, you could shoot them again. They're still moving. It's the same thing. Come on, don't be such a stickler. Now you've got zombie eyes. Just like everybody else. They blamed Cassie. I didn't even need Let to scrub. Let me see your tickets. Right here, thanks. Tickets, have your tickets ready. It was two years before all the details got hammered away. A lot changed in that time. I listened to Cassie's tapes. I shaved, got a job, covered all the furniture in plastic. Mostly though, I watched people on the streets and in stores and on the train. I watched the zombie eyes stare back at me from my mirror. Truth is, it's not always bad to go dead inside. It's part of growing up. Is the seat taken? Yeah, fly, fly away, sweetie. Hey, stranger. You got room on that bench for two? Sure. What took you so long? Please. Two years is nothing. Innocent by reason of insanity. The best your parents' money could buy. Hey, give me that recorder. That's my job, control freak. I'm clinical, you're creative. We have to split it up or this book is never gonna get written. You know. Your eyes are kind of dead. Ooh, scary. I'm totally pooping myself. <laughs> so, who's our mark? It's your turn. Unhappy couples who fight in public talk like Dr. Phil. Perfect. I hate them. You know, I love you, Robert. Save it for the honeymoon. I've totally created a monster. Was that a happy or horrific ending? Well, listener, the choice is yours. Let's hope wherever Robert and Cassie go on their honeymoon is nowhere near you or I. Tune in next time, listener, for another tale from beyond the pale. Until then, this is Fezenden signing off. You have just listened to Is This Seat Taken? Featuring device talents of Joe Swanberg, Vanya Arslanian, Helen McTiernan, Mike Malfi, Malfitano. Is This Seat Taken was written by Sarah Langan and directed by J.T. Petty. Produced by Larry Fessenden, Glenn McQuaid, and Lisa Wisely. Original score by Jeff Grace and featuring slow-burning crimes by East 100. Theme music by Jeff Grace. Sound supervisor, Tom Effinger. Re-recording mixer, Eric Gittleson. Sound design, Neil Fazari. Assistant Editor, Jeff Seeley. VO and Foley Recordist, Eric Gittleson. Foley Artist, Sean Brennan. 
Digit in-house producer, Alicia Loving. Audio post facility, Digit Audio Inc. Copyright, Glass Eye Picks, 2010. An author visiting the Stanley Hotel writes a tale of two families in duress speeding towards a tumultuous encounter on a winding, wintry road. Tales We Tell, Part 1. Only on Tales from Beyond the Pale, the podcast.